going to be in the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostle today. We're going to be looking at uh, Acts 1-8, but verses leading up to it. It's extremely famous. I'm always nervous to preach on a famous verse because some of you could say, well, I've taught on that verse 72 times, and I pray, Lord, give them something new and fresh for this, this 73rd time or whatever it is. So we look forward to doing that. But the question that I've said is, why the Holy Spirit? There's even been a book, a pretty popular book written about the Holy Spirit called Forgotten God. So what does all that mean? What's that all about? Well, we're going to look at that today and think about how that fits with gospel witness and things like that. Uh, many of you know Memorial Day, right? Anybody know Memorial Day? Memorial Day is the day here in the United States of America where we remember. What do we remember? We remember the costs, the great costs of conflict. Of those who have perished. As a nation, we have spilt blood to retain our freedom. And we honor that on Memorial Day. I believe that's the last, no, don't quote me. Is it the last Monday or does the calendar make it change? I don't know. These calendars and stuff. It's in May, late in May, and it's on a Monday, all right? And we do that. And that's a good thing to do because there are costs of conflict. So what I'd like us to do now today is think about another type of conflict, spiritual conflict. It's a conflict in which we're engaged in, and it's not going to go away until the end of the world has occurred, until however you view eschatology and end times, wherever your end date is, wherever you and with Jesus face to face and all that kind of stuff, this spiritual conflict will go on. The devil is ultimately defeated, amen? But he is prowling around and roaring like a lion, right? He's seeking whom he may devour. And however he can do that, keeping people from the Lord, taking Christians and diluting or ruining our witness or our effectiveness, he's busy doing all that. So it's in a great spiritual conflict that's going on. Here's the problem with that conflict. When it comes to Memorial Day, we understand it. Someone is shot and killed, blood is spilt, blown up, crashed, whatever you want to say, all these horrific things happen. But in the spiritual conflict, it's going on. We don't see it. We see some of the results of it, but we don't see it. It's going on around us. Remember, the devil is what? The prince of the air, right? Yes, so things are going on. So there's two opposing kingdoms. As Christians, we're called to be unashamed of our leader. Our leader as Christians in this conflict is Jesus Christ. And God has called, I believe, each one of his children to be public spokespersons for the King of kings and the Lord of lords with the goal of winning people over. Now, we know God saves, but we have a responsibility to help win people over. We want more and more people to be in the Lord's kingdom. Amen? Don't we want that? I think we do want that. And we should be decisive in our purpose of calling people out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Hey, I wanted to ask you, I saw a movie years ago, maybe you've seen it. Did you ever see the movie Pay It Forward? Yeah, stay with me for a minute. It's a, it's a movie that imagines something. This movie imagined what could happen if everyone gave someone. Do you remember, we even, I think Bush even, we got the phrase, if everyone would do an act of 
kindness. Do you remember that? If someone would do an act of kindness, something that could not be paid back, and then all those people that it happened to with the same thing, right, to another person, they would pay it forward. That's a good idea. That's still going on today. I still hear reports of, I, I don't drink coffee, sorry. Don't fire me, please. But uh, Starbucks, if someone pays for an order, and they get up and your orders pay, well, let me pay for that one. And it just, it's just a chain reaction. Well, how about we take that into the spiritual conflict, the spiritual battle, the marching orders that the Lord has given us to be witnesses. What would it be like? Imagine what might happen if each of us shared the gospel with at least three people in 2023. See how I got that? Three in 2023. Paying it forward. Think what that would be like. Listen, I would say to you today, I want to submit to you today that sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, God's rescue plan, is the ultimate pay it forward action. If you want to pay for someone's meal at a restaurant, great. If you want to pay for someone's coffee order at Starbucks, great. But the ultimate one at paying it forward is to share what has happened to you with someone else. Wow. Well, let's talk about the Trinity for a minute. We have a lot of opening remarks this morning. The Trinity, we've sung about it, right? I don't need to talk about it too much. But the Trinity is all over Scripture. We find the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We find that from Genesis 1 on throughout the whole Bible. Let us make man in our image. So I want you to think about that. As I said before, for some, the Holy Spirit is the forgotten God. And let me just share this with you, me being a Baptist. If some people take something and run with it to where we think it shouldn't go, and it's not what we believe, it doesn't mean we throw, have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Amen? It doesn't mean just because someone maybe has a different view about Holy Spirit or gifts than we do, it doesn't mean all of a sudden he doesn't exist. No, it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Holy Spirit is mentioned more than 50 times right here in this book of Acts. As we sang, I don't know if you caught the line when we were singing, uh, uh, it was on this last song, I believe, the, the, without the Holy Spirit, without him, he's a he, by the way, in Scripture, without him, the work of the Lord would not and could not be accomplished all the way back to creation and forward. It's amazing how that works. D.L. Moody once said, you might as well try to see without eyes, hear without ears, breathe without lungs as to try to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. I thought I'd get an amen. Too late. <laughs> David Jeremiah, more contemporary guy, many of you enjoy him like I do, said this, Listen, we need the filling and empowering of the Spirit every bit as much as those first disciples did to do the work Christ has given us. It's significant that Jesus tells the disciples in this passage to wait for the Holy Spirit before trying to be witnesses for him in the world. Let's look at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. You remember that ragtag group, those, those guys? Yeah. 
After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was together with them, now we're talking about resurrected Jesus here, while he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you heard from me. For John baptized with water. You remember John the Baptist? I like to call him John the Baptizer. He baptized with water. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, at this time, this is an important question, look at it. Lord, at this time, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We know that verse, don't we? Let's pray. God, speak to us today. Inspire us. Challenge us. Customize your word for each one of us. I thank you how you do that in my own life each week. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we got to spend time a little context. In doing this evangelistic series, it's a little harder than going through a book because you get the context going and then you're good. Here we dive bomb into Acts and we got to have some context. So we're going to spend a lot of time leading up to verse 8 because most of you know verse 8. We're going to get to verse 8, but let's spend some time leading up to it. And we want to start with context. And the first thing we want to note is this is Luke's second volume. Acts is the second volume of a two-volume history written by Luke. Do you remember Dr. Luke? Okay. He was a companion of the Apostle Paul. He was taking notes, writing things down. The first volume, of course, is the gospel according to... That was your chance to get 100% today. The gospel according to... Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all right? That's the first volume. Sometimes scholars refer to these two books, Luke and Acts, as Luke slash Acts. They go together so much. We know they belong together because the introductions link them. Both books mention a guy named Theophilus. Don't name your child that, please. <laughs> Unless you're going to call him Theo, and that's okay. And the Acts, even right here that we just read, refers back to Luke's first, right, right away, to his first narrative, okay? Now, it's interesting. You think, well, wh why didn't you just write one book? It's been so much easier. Well, interestingly, ancient books were generally written on. Do you know what they were written on? They were generally written on papyrus scrolls, picture scroll. You can see some. You go to Israel, you can see that in the, that museum. I mean, they lay it out. It's just forever and forever. And it was practical for the most part to have a scroll up to about 35 feet in length. That's what scholars tell us. Why, why that? Because any longer and the scroll would become too bulky to carry around. There was no World Wide Web then. There was no internet. There was no Kindle. None of those stuff. You had to take the scroll with you. And a certain amount worked well. Well, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, are you hearing that? Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 
as Luke set out to write a history of Jesus' life, but not just that, but also a history of the expansion of the church in Luke's own age, it's easy to see how he did two books, two scrolls. Today, if you will, we look at the second one. We look at Acts. Now, I want to say two things. Uh, doctrine is very important. The first one is the doctrine of inspiration. Are you familiar with that? that? You heard me say it earlier. Luke did this not on his own power, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me there? God, in his providence, in the fact that he's God and we're not, took all these different guys from different generations, different times, different uh, situations and experience, different languages even, and put it all together in what we call the Holy Bible, 66 books. And Luke here has two of them, and it's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that he does this. So what I want to say about inspiration is we can view that as the initial work when it comes to God's word of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me so far? Inspiration? Doesn't mean it makes you feel good. You're going to go out and kick a field goal or something. That's not what we mean. But the second doctrine I want to mention briefly is preservation. Are you familiar with that? It is the doctrine that tells us this is not the initial work of the Holy Spirit. This is the continuing work of the Holy Spirit. And it's preservation. And it's this. If you have a high view of Scripture, you believe that God is the God who can preserve His Word for us through the ages, even in the year 2023. Amen? Anybody buy a new Bible this year? Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. Anybody buy one in the last few years? Yeah. Uh, this is my same one, but I had to get it rebound because it was kind of falling apart. But I wanted the same one. Truth be known, I, the font is big enough I can read it <laughs> without my glasses usually if the light's just right. Yeah. Listen, it's the same Bible as if you bought one in the 1960s or 80s. God preserves it. And it's amazing to me that he preserves it in so many different dialects and languages, including English. Most of you probably have an English Bible today. Is that right? Just, just go ahead and look at it. Look at the first few words. Is it in English? But you could have a Spanish Bible. We could have all kinds of different Bibles. Okay? We're headed on a trip pretty soon where we'll get to see an Arabic Bible. A Bible from Central Asia? It's going to be great. Will I be able to read those? No. But I understand and believe the doctrine of preservation and that God pre preserves His Word, which when you believe that, it, the full, hear me, the full and complete revelation of God to us is here. Yes, I know heaven's coming. Yes, I know, as the song says, we'll understand it better by and by, right? Okay, maybe we will. I used to think as a young preacher all the time that, well, we'll have all of our questions answered in heaven. Uh, the glorification is going to happen. Not only is the body going to be glorified, but the brain is, and there's studies. We don't use that much of the human brain and all that. But the older I get, the more I'm thinking, I don't know if we're going to get, won't even want to have all those questions answered. Why? We're going to be in the presence of God, worshiping Him. But the fact is, preservation preserves all of God's revelation. Run from someone who has something new that is different than what is in God's Word. Amen? 
Lamar, why do you keep saying that? Because it keeps happening in Albuquerque and in New Mexico and on our airways and all around our country and around our world. We have missionaries right now that are fighting so hard the prosperity gospel. I'm not going to go into it, but they're having great difficulties because of things that don't line up exactly with God's word. So enjoy God's word. Get into it every day. Read it in the language you understand it in and know that God, it doesn't matter what translation. Some of you like this one and this one and this one. I like a certain one. It's okay. The best Bible is the one that we will read. The best translation is the one that we will read. Okay, enough about that, but I just wanted to share with you some context on that and some theology and doctrine there. So this is Luke's second volume, written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. All right, we're good. But now let's talk about a 40-day Bible conference. We see this in other places in Scripture, but we see it right here in Acts 1. Luke reminds us of something. He reminds us that Jesus' ministry involved both words and deeds. Do you see that? Right, right in those first verses. It involves words and deeds. It says here, until he was taken up, until he ascended to heaven, until he, he was done with the, the work in, on earth and ascended into heaven, which is where Jesus is today, Right? At the right hand of the Father. Where there's Trinity again, okay? And verse 3 shows us something interesting. It shows us that for 40 days our resurrected Savior showed convincing proofs and taught about the kingdom of God. That's what Scripture says. And that's where I came up with that. Can you imagine? Wouldn't you love to be in a... Bible conferences are good, right? Wouldn't you love to be in a 40-day Bible conference? Most of you say, no way. I agree. I wouldn't do it. I'm a preacher. I wouldn't do it. I'm not listening to those guys. But what if it was led by Jesus himself? What an amazing thing. The resurrected Savior doing a 40-day Bible conference, if you will. Fantastic. The Bible states that Jesus appeared to many followers in many different ways. In fact, the Bible tells us that in one instance, Jesus appeared to over 500 followers at one time. Please note four truths. I don't have time to spend uh, going over um, the factual proofs of the resurrection. You know, let Josh McDowell do that. Evidence that demands a verdict. Other people can do that. You can read about it. But even, even historians that aren't Christians see the fact of Jesus roaming the earth after the Roman crucifixion. So number one, four truths. Stay with me. This helps us to know and to be able to believe these truths. Number one, the resurrection is a fact. What does that mean? For the disciples, it means they, they knew Jesus had been raised from the dead. How did they know that? Because they had been with him before. They saw him. They knew he got put in the ground. And they knew not only that on the third day the tomb was empty, the stone was rolled away, but they encountered the resurrected Jesus. Now, why is this a big deal? It's not just for the apostles. If you will remember, even Jesus' brother, do you remember his name? His name was James. Even he saw the resurrected Jesus, and Scripture tells us that's what caused him to believe. Jesus' family didn't believe at first. James comes to faith in Christ, his brother. How crazy is that, right? When he sees his brother, Jesus Christ, resurrected, it causes him to believe. Later on, he goes and leads the church in Jerusalem and all kinds of other things. The resurrection is a fact, number one. Number two is this. If the resurrection is a fact... It proves the deity of Jesus. 
Confucius can't do it. Buddha can't do it. Stalin can't do it. We could, you name it, we could go on and on. They're dead. They're all dead. They didn't resurrect. It proves the deity of Jesus. Why? Jesus claimed to be divine before his crucifixion. He claimed that his father was going to raise him from the dead after his crucifixion. And Jesus' resurrection from the dead after three days proved his deity and claims. Let's move on. Deity of Jesus. Number three, a divine Christ must speak truth. Why? According to Scripture, God is truthful. God must speak truthfully. Two places in scriptures it says something interesting. I love to use this with skeptics sometimes. They go, oh, you think your God can do anything. No, there's something my God can't do. God cannot lie. It says it twice in scripture. He must speak truthfully. Therefore, Jesus must speak truth. And if what Jesus says is true, then we can trust everything he teaches, including here in our passage today. We can trust the Bible because Jesus taught that it was the Word of God. Jesus himself gives commentary on this and says it's the Word of God. It should be enough for us. We can believe that God has forgiven our many sins because of that. We can understand that Jesus taught that God would do that very thing for all who would believe in him. And my question today is, do you trust? Do you believe the good news? Do you believe the gospel? Do you trust? Well, let's move on to one final area of context. I told you we'd be here a while. Baptism. Jesus gave them a promise, according to Scripture right here, a promise that's from the Father. It's the gift of the... I'll say it, Holy Spirit. Some of y'all are going to make the curve get harder and harder there, yeah. Kids, that's a thing we used to do in school way back in the day, you know. Anyway. But he said they had to wait for it. It was a different time than it is today. They had to wait for it. So let's go back. Let me give you a couple scriptures. Let me go back to Luke 3, 15 and 16. Because it's talking about John the baptizer and then the Holy Spirit and all this kind of stuff. Here's Luke 3, 15 and 16. Now the people were waiting expectantly, and all of them were debating in their minds whether John might be the Messiah. And John answered them all. Here it is. I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is more powerful than I. I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. And here's what John says. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. By the way, the exact same words are mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 3.11. And then Jesus' own words. We think about John 14. And of course, we think about John 14 is, Jesus, you know, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And then we think about, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But then a little bit later in verses 16 and 17, Jesus says this. <clears throat> and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor who will be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him, talking to believers, you do know him because he remains in you and he will be with you. Jesus' promise 
before he's crucified, before he resurrected. And we get to that promise here now. It's as if the anointed one, Jesus, is anointing his own. And we see it over and over again in Luke 24, 49. It repeats this idea. It does it in Acts. If we read the book of Acts, Acts 11, 15 through 18, Acts 15, 8 through 9, we see this, this idea repeated over and over again. And, of course, when we read Acts 2, when we get to Pentecost, we see the fulfillment of this promise. So consider three items, and then we move on. Number one, this is theology and doctrine again. Okay, so I want you to really think about that. I believe this is what the Bible teaches. Number one, when a person is saved, the Holy Spirit enters his or her life. I think you have to believe that. You have to, or we need to talk, okay? Here's what he does, the Holy Spirit. He comes upon the believer. He falls upon. He pours on the believer. He fills the believer. The word is used, he baptizes. What does that word mean? It means immerse, to dip or plunge. He baptizes himself into the life of the believer. These are all words that I just use are words that come from Scripture that describe the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, it is the Holy Spirit, that part of the Trinity, that places the believer into the body of Christ which is God's church. We know how that works. He convicts, right? He convicts us of sin. He does all that. And here's what I want you to hear, though. It's not a felt activity. It doesn't say that. It is an act of God which takes place in heaven. Listen, let me tell you something. When you are going your own way and you, you realize what sin is and you turn and you run from sin and you run and you repent to God, and you say, I am a sinner. God, I know that you can save me. Jesus, you paid the price for it. I give all, I, I, I turn from it. I give it all of it to you. And God rushes in and saves you. We call that becoming a Christian, don't, don't we? Or conversion. Or the word, a theological word I like is regeneration. Listen, that doesn't happen right here if I'm doing it right here. It's an act of heaven. It's an act of heaven. And it is awesome. Do you remember when that happened to you? Don't ever forget it, please. Don't forget it. That's the problem. Some of us have got inoculated too much. We've forgotten what it was like. Do you remember that? I remember the moment it happened. It wasn't a felt thing. Yes, I had emotions and stuff. But let me never get over that. What happened in heaven and remember, we talked about it a few weeks back. Even heaven is rejoicing when that happens. There's a party going on when one comes to Christ. Okay? So that's the first thing. We, we can call that being the doctrine being sealed with the Spirit. We are sealed with God's Holy Spirit at the moment of conversion of regeneration. Secondly, this happens once for all. Now stay with me. The Bible teaches that we are adopted as a child of God. Are you aware of that? You can go to John 1.12, a lot of other places. It's clear. We are adopted into God's family as a child of God. And Scripture makes it clear it is a irrevocable. It's an internal position. The word that Scripture uses is sonship, S-O-N, ship. That's what happens to us. We studied this, Galatians chapter 4. You can remember back that far, verses 5 and 6, we talk about it. So not only does this happen at conversion, regeneration, it's once for all, it's irrevocable. I know some of you grew up in faith traditions where that wasn't the case. I would submit to you that's not 
biblical. You can't go down to the last second of your life and say, God saved me because your word, you got saved and lost, saved and lost, saved and lost. The scripture is clear. You cannot be snatched. If you're, if you're truly a Christian, okay, hear me, because people have a lot of exceptions. Well, what about this guy? What about my uncle? No, if you're truly a Christian, and I don't know that, only God does, you cannot be snatched out of Jesus' hand. And then he repeats it right again in the next verse or two when he says, you can't be snatched out of the Father's hand. In case you didn't get it, folks, let me say it again. Okay, it's once for all. And then number three, after a person is saved, here's where the confusion comes in. He or she is to keep on being filled with the Spirit day by day, being filled. I know it's a dumb illustration, but it's a New Mexico illustration. You ride a bike around here, you get goat heads. Anybody, anybody farm goat heads in here? I should see a lot of hands going up. That's where we live. And what happens? The next day, the tire needs to be filled up again and filled up again. It's as if it's goat head Christianity. That's who we are, right? Okay? We have to keep on being filled day by day. Listen, read the book of Acts. It's a truth in the early church in the book of Acts. It happens over and over and over again. I'm not talking about some supernatural thing. I don't have time to talk about Pentecost. But Pentecost just wasn't babbling. It was the gospel going out into the languages of all the people that had gathered a miracle of God. But this, is, this feeling is like I'm leaky. I'm a sinner. I do things my own way. I'm carnal. Listen, I need to be filled today and tomorrow and tomorrow. God, right? God, take control of my life today. God, fill me today. Okay, enough about that. Let's move on. Verses 6 and 7 is what I call the prelude to 1-8. 6 and 7, look at it. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord. At least they called him Lord, right? Good. At this, Remember, these are followers. Lord, at this time, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel? Listen, they asked a legitimate question. Why is it a legitimate question? Because Jesus had promised and taught about the kingdom. It was on their mind. But they were still confused. And you've heard that, haven't you? These guys, especially, spend three years with Jesus. They're still confused. And so this question is loaded. John Stott, which I really, I really like him on some things. Other things, he's... I was going to say something that would... Somebody might find it offensive. I was almost going to say something about his nationality. I apologize. But some things are great, some things aren't. But right here, he cuts to the heart of the matter. He says this about this verse. The verb restore or restoring shows that they were expecting a political or territorial kingdom. And we know that from other places. But it's all in this one verse. Secondly, the noun Israel shows that they were expecting a national kingdom. Okay? Not just political, territorial, but national. And then third, there's an adverbial clause at this time that they were expecting its immediate establishment. Listen, it's a loaded question. It's like, is this going to happen right now, Jesus? Are you going to get rid of those Romans for us, our oppressors? And then are we going to have this nationalistic whatever, the pinnacle of society? Hmm. And then in verse 7, Jesus responds, and basically his answers is, have, have you ever heard of Nunya? Anybody ever said Nunya to you? You know what that means? Some of y'all are looking at me funny. It means none your business. 
That's what Jesus says in verse 7. Look at it. That's none of your business. F.F. Bruce, a great scholar, translates the Greek, it does not belong to you to know. In other words, he says this, it is not your concern. That speaks volumes to me. It's none of your business. Well, in a moment, we're going to look at verse 8, and we'll see what is our business. It's crazy. In a matter of two verses, Jesus says, none of your business, your business. I, I don't know how much more simple we can make it. So we'll look at that. Church, I want you to see the difference right now, today. I want you to see what the main thing is, not what is not the main thing. Please know this. The concern of the believer is not to be a reward. To be in a kingdom, a political kingdom. The concern of Christians is not to be a reward. It's not to have craving for position or power, money, possessions, recognition, prestige, all the physical stuff. Instead, the concern of the believer is to be involved in service in the kingdom and ministry in the kingdom. How do we do that? By proclaiming the stunning salvation of Jesus Christ and meeting the cry of a world that is buried in desperation and needs. That's what we're to do. And Jesus is blunt here. In the language, it's pretty blunt. It's really a basic rebuke that he gives to them. And as your pastor, occasionally, I need to provide exhortation. Are you okay with that? Some of y'all need to go like this right now. Go nanny, nanny, boo, boo, don't listen. But I want to exhort you in something. I want you to be careful about something. Hear me out. Think of this context. Be careful about focusing too much on prophecy. Be, listen, be careful about spending too much time trying to figure out dates on a calendar. Yes, I understand. All the prophecies from Isaiah and all of the places leading up to Jesus' birth and life here on earth, yes. I'm talking about end times prophecy. I run into Christians, and I ran into a few in our church even, that the topic is always on end time prophecy. None of your business. Now listen, I'm not saying don't deal with it at all. Of course. What are we to do? Two L's. We are to look for Jesus' return, right? Are you looking for that? Every day, I would change our activity. If we looked for Jesus' return, it might be today. We're also to long for heaven. But listen, both of those things we have to do without letting either one get in the way of our task and our work. Our task and our work is not to just study prophecy and read every book that you can get. Because listen, I can tell who's in this camp, this camp, this camp, this camp, and this camp in the church. Just by talking about what you read. Who are your authors? Okay? We don't get to know. It's fine to study. But listen, church, it can't be primary. It can't be primary. If it takes away the task that God has given us, then you need to reformat, reboot, rethink about that. If you go back and think about the conversations you're having with other Christians, if they all revolve around this area that's none of your business, maybe you need to be talking about something else occasionally, primary. Okay, are we good? Do you understand? Don't go out here saying that you can't do anything in prophecy. I didn't say that. It can't be primary, though. It can't be what you're about. Actually, you can use prophecy... To some extent, especially the ones leading up 
to Jesus' birth and death and resurrection to witness. I personally never let anyone to the Lord by just talking about eschatological viewpoints. Maybe you have, but it doesn't usually happen that way. It usually happens that, hey, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior and a Lord. All right, we're going to move on. Let's get to verse 8. How many of you are glad we made it to verse 8? We're almost done. Yay. Two things. There are two Ps. Number one, we have the power of 1-8. It's the first part of verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Now, this is not something special today because we live post-Acts 1-8. Are you okay? We live post-Acts 1-8. It's already here, but you'll receive power. How many of you know the name Clara Peller? Anybody? Wow. It's a trick question. Clara Peller. How many of you know old Wendy's commercials? Oh. Clara Peller was a sweet old frumpy lady that would look at the competitor's burgers. Is it coming back to you and ask, where's the beef? Any of you remember those? Some of you youngsters won't. Listen, great marketing. But today, we need to ask ourselves and our church, where's the power? Where's the power? It's simply here. You ready? The believer's equipping power is the Holy Spirit. Period. Simply. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not even a catechism. It's a, you, we could go on and on. The equipping power for the Christian is the Holy Spirit. John MacArthur said it this way. All the preparation and training that knowledge and experience can bring are useless without the proper might. Power had to accompany truth. You see, a class or method won't do it. Just let you know, put on your calendars, Friday night, March 31st, or Saturday morning, April 1st, we're going to do training. We're going to do evangelism training. I'm going to provide some stuff. We're doing the same thing at night and in the morning so everybody can pick and choose when they want to come. But that's not a miracle cure. A class doesn't do that. It's not a miracle cure for our witness. The cure is let us witness, according to this verse, with what? The power of the Holy Spirit, not our own power. Now let's get to the second part of the verse. It's where the purpose is. Okay, the power is the Holy Spirit. And remember, you got him if you're a Christian. You got him the moment of conversion. You have him. But let's look at the purpose, second part of verse 8. And you will be my witnesses, capital M, in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Notice the purpose. Our purpose is extremely clear. What is it? What's the purpose? To be witnesses. Whose witnesses? My witnesses. Who's speaking? Red Letter Bible. Who's speaking? Jesus. To be Jesus' witnesses. What does this mean? It means simply to tell people about God's love and his rescue plan. Now, the disciples had asked about the coming of the kingdom. They'd asked when the kingdom would come. When would believers, and I understand their hearts, when would believers be gathered? When would they be sheltered from abuse or, or these oppression? You know, when would the fellowship and worship of God come? When would they be free from worldly in, injustices and sin? It's the same question that people ask today. But Jesus is clear. He promised a day when believers would be freed from the world, from its sin and shame, death and hell. 
But let me tell you something. Now is not that time. It could be this afternoon or tonight or tomorrow. I hope it's not. i got a trip I want to go on. But it could be. But right now, as we're living and breathing, now is not the time for us to be cloistered together in heaven or in church. Now is not the time. There's work to be done. It's not time yet. And so, right here in this verse, right in this one verse, we see the introduction and outline for the book of Acts. Because if you'll read Acts, once empowered by the Holy Spirit, and it came, and he came, and they were empowered. The disciples proclaimed the gospel boldly first in Jerusalem, and then as the book of Acts progresses, it goes out further, the gospel, into Judea, and then Samaria, and then, guess what, to the outer reaches of the known world, primarily through the missionary work of the Apostle Paul. This is your guide today. I want you to write down one scripture. I want you to re read this scripture, recite it every day of the month of March if you're able to do it. It's Acts 4.33. Acts 4.33. It has been said, I'm stealing this from a guy, but I like to tell people that are wondering about God and how he speaks. I tell them, you want to hear God speak audibly? Stand up. Open the Bible and read it out loud. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? So we want to do that. I want you to read it out loud every day. Acts 4.33 says this. And the apostles were giving testimony with great power to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them. All of them. That's our Holy Spirit model. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? That we would give testimony. There would be great power. What's it about? Je the rescue plan, the resurrection of Jesus, of course. And there's great grace. Every day in March. Would you join me in doing that? The whole movement of Acts shows us something inspiring and encouraging. Some of you have read all of Acts, haven't you? you? Gotten to the end of it? It's pretty amazing, isn't it? The gospel triumphs. Are you aware of that? Listen, there was a lot more troubles that... Some, especially Paul and his companions had and the early church had that we haven't experienced, right? It's amazing how the gospel triumphs even in the face of great risk and great rejection. And those are two things that most Christians are concerned about today that hamper them from sharing the gospel. There's risk involved. You might be found out that you're a Christian. And there also could be rejection. Let me remind you I shared Christ a couple times recently. I was not rejected. The person did not want to receive salvation. That's rejecting God and his salvation, not me. I'm just sharing, okay? I want to do something different today. I want to tell you a true story. End with a story. Then we'll pray. You ready? Norina was her name. She was an elderly woman who survived Hurricane Andrew, do you remember that? Way back in 1992, her house was badly damaged. Norena received an insurance settlement, and so repair work began. And work happened, and work happened. It was getting close to pull the final permits and to finish everything up, but then her money ran out. Well, when her money ran out, so did the contractor. 
leaving an unfinished home with no electricity. Wasn't completed. Hmm. Norena lived in her dark, unfinished home without power. Now, I picture this in Florida. No heat in the winter. That's not too bad. No AC in the hot, humid summers. How about this one? Not one hot shower, and no one seemed to notice. But finally, someone did notice. And the mayor of the city got involved and got the right people together. And within hours, an electrical contractor was able to return power to her home to make the final hookups, to pull the permits, to do all that kind of stuff, to finish it off. And she had electricity. Are you ready for this? After 15 years. Norena. 15 years. CBS News reported that Norena planned to take her first bubble bath in a decade and a half. It's hard to describe having the electricity, she said. To switch on the power, it's overwhelming. That's crazy, isn't it? But there's something to be said for plugging into the power. Let us, as a church, as believers, plug into the power of our Holy Spirit. Our witnessing opportunities and experiences will be so much better. Let us see what God is can, do, can do. Perhaps you have felt failure. I, I can tell you right now, there are times that I have witnessed, that I have shared the gospel plan, God's rescue plan in my own power. And guess what happens? It fails. We need to pray, be prayed up with the power of the Holy Spirit and see the opportunities that God will give us and what might happen. Let us not determine how the conversation goes. Let us not determine how the opportunity is going to take place. Let us not determine that we are the ones in charge, but let us instead rely on the power of the Holy Spirit and let him work through us, and we might be amazed at what he does. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this familiar verse. You have reminded us that you have the power that we can plug into it and we can be your witnesses. God, help us to claim this month coming up, Acts 4.33, into our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.